Hey, it's Chris. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the latest videos on the channel, both iPad related, kind of go behind the scenes a little bit. Going to talk about some desk accessories, a little preview of a video that's on its way. We're also going to talk about some Apple stuff, some Apple news, Samsung's latest Apple mocking ad, which is itself very mockable, and the possibility of foldable iPads, among other things, coming down the pipeline. Have you seen the latest videos on the channel? If you haven't, let me just break down a little bit what was going on. The first one that I got published this week was the iPad Pro external monitor experience is better than they told you. Who's they? Well, pretty much everybody, it seems, except for me. I got so many people saying thank you for having a more positive take on this and recognizing kind of the early innings that we seem to be in with this product. I've pointed out in the video, Mac OS has had decades of refinement. And here, iPad OS comes along with some new features and some multitasking that needs some work, but it's brand new. It's in beta. It's not even officially released and everyone's acting like it needs to be on par with what's going on with Mac OS. So I kind of pointed that out in the video and talked about the experience and the, the bulk of what I mentioned was like, hey, I can get some actual work done now. In fact, if I had to, I could probably do all of my work on an iPad for the very first time. And it's cool to just kind of play around with an iPad first or an iPad only desk setup. Pretty nuts, actually. And as part of that setup, of course, I'm still using that studio monitor. And I got to tell you, I'm really, really, really liking that studio display. And I know a lot of people out there say they can't stand the nano texture. I love the nano texture. I realize it is a pricey upgrade, but it just cuts the glare off at the at the knees. Like I don't even have any glare issues. And that's been something that's been a huge pain for me in the past. So if you have the chance, and but you know, I'm a video editor. A lot of people are like, well, how can you, you know, pay attention to the details and stuff that you're working on? No, it hasn't been a problem at all. Things look really sharp and clean and clear and crispy, so I'm really liking it. Now, what's crazy about this video is that I had to set up a bunch of C-stands, which are just kind of like big, long metal arms that you can mount cameras to, and you put some uh, weight on the bottom, like a sandbag, and so that your camera doesn't fall over <laughs> and stuff don't crash around. Although, I've had plenty of these things fall over, and they're a huge pain to move around. But anyways, I set up a couple of those, and I got an uh, an iPhone angle going as well. You know, I could use all my Sony cameras and move those around, but you know, when you get stuff set up in the studio, you hate to move around too much. So it's, I've been filming a lot more with the iPhone lately, not in ProRes lately. I turned that off. I know I talked about that recently here on the podcast. That was just too much of a hassle, even though it looked really good, but it still looks pretty good. Uh, you know, if I just use like decent settings in Filmic Pro. So I'm pretty happy with how that turned out. You know, it got a good amount of views and people seem pretty interested in what they can do with an iPad-based desk setup. The second video that I got out there was on Apple's brand new, I should say upcoming, it's not quite out, but it's gonna be out soon, Freeform app. I've been waiting for this app for so long for it to come out so I could talk about it. I knew from the very second that I saw it, I was gonna like it. And even though it's available, for your Mac, for your iPhone, and for your iPad. I mean, it makes the most sense for iPad users because obviously with the Apple Pencil, it's like made for the Apple Pencil. And I kind of view it as, you know, the parts that are, the fact that it works on any other Apple device besides the iPad is just so that they can play along so you can meet with other people and see what somebody on an iPad has actually done because that really is where the magic happens. But it's so funny. Um, I mentioned that it stole elements, stole 
you could say stole Sherlock, or you could just say borrowed or was inspired by uh, several different apps. But I mentioned the ones that, that came to my mind were Muse, seems to borrow some from Muse from Infinite Canvas and then from some mood boarding apps. But other people have commented that they're like, this is basically the Concepts app. Or somebody else like, this is Microsoft's whiteboarding app. Someone's like, this is very much like OneNote. Somebody said, it looks suspiciously a lot like Nibu, whatever that is. N-E-B-U? I don't know what that is. And wow, there are a lot of daily tech. I'm looking through the comments. Spam comments. I just cannot fathom how YouTube can't block these out. I know people are getting scammed out of money. I, and people, I can't even respond to all the comments. People are like, Chris, did you contact me? I know I bring it up all the time, but I, I just, I can't stand that people are making money off of my likeness and name and brand. Here, this one is text me on Telegram at Daily Tech 247. I mean, I'm not going to be Daily Tech 247 or 246 or 245. I'm not going to be Daily Tech 01 either. You know, I just, I can't believe that people fall for this stuff. I'm going to hide that user there, but uh, that was on somebody else's comment there saying good notes vibes. Anyways, the point being, yeah, I mean, it does have some similarities to other apps, but one thing that's nice here is that it's going to be free for people. So when it's out of beta, when it's officially arrived, you're not going to have to pay for it. That's great, right? That's pretty cool. Now let me do a better job of answering than I did in, I think in the video, or at least I, I answered it more later in the video, but I kind of brought up and I think people feel like I didn't fully explain myself that you know, why is this different, a separate app from the current Apple Notes app? Like, why would Apple not just merge these features into Notes? The answer is, number one, I'm not really sure. But number two, it is nice to have a dedicated place for your Notes because while it might seem like these are similar and that you can use your Apple Pencil within Notes and you can use your Apple Pencil here and there is text within Apple Notes and there's text within Freeform, they honestly are super, super different. Like the, the framework, the structure of the apps is super different. And then the way that you input stuff is so different. I just don't think they really could be the same. You know, and unless you started an Apple Note and instead of starting a Note, it was a board and you had a choice between a regular Note and a board. I guess Apple could have done that. But I mean, I don't personally really mind. I don't, I don't know why somebody would really complain about it. Because, you know, because for me, they do feel like different workflows. So while I, you know, and I said this in the video, I would open up Freeform for myself, even if I'm not collaborating with other people as like a starting place, if I'm going to get some ideas out of my head. So it's kind of where I've been starting and just kind of working out some ideas, gathering information, doing some research, and then starting to structure it in a different app, whether that's, you know, MindNote or whether that's just a writing app or whatever. But I think the main thing, the, the main thing that I see when I look at these is it, it literally makes you think differently when you open up something and you can just hear the default is text and typing with Apple pencil support kind of baked onto that. And then you think differently when you open up an app and the main input method can be the Apple pencil first. And then text stuff is sort of baked onto that instead. It's kind of like, you know, what is it intended for? You know, one is intended primarily for text and one is intended I feel like primarily for the Apple Pencil. So I've been having some good fun with that. That is a really cool app and I can't wait to see how that progresses as well. Like one thing that I would love to see come to Freeform is for like videos, YouTube videos to actually play in line without it having to kick you over to the YouTube app. For instance, that would be really cool just to be able to see that right there. Okay, I'm gonna give you a tiny little preview here. I don't wanna give away too much, but I've had so many people asking about 
these accessories on the desk that I haven't really mentioned. I've just shown them off in videos because I was waiting for some stuff to arrive here. You, you already know about the Alti wireless or, or charging mat, you know, that I've got in front of me. I've got my keyboard sitting on this mat. I've described that in detail. That's cool. I can't wait to show that off. But I also went ahead and uh, asked 12 South if they would send me over the new Curve Flex. I've had on my desk for a long time the Curve, the 12 South Curve, which is a very iconic at this point. It's been around for a while monitor stand. The Curve Flex, though, is such an upgrade because it lets you adjust the height of the curve. Same kind of look, but now if you want it to be lower, you can do that. If you want to elevate uh, your Mac screen, you can do that, which is actually really cool. I've just thoroughly enjoyed having my screen, my actual Mac screen, be higher next to the studio display here, just more at eye level instead of looking down. I hate that. That's one thing I don't like about any stand, whether it's for the Mac or the iPad, is that they're always so low. Why do companies make them so low? Like people want to be looking straight down at their desk, raise the things up. So I just love the curve that it gets so high. I also have a smart fan slash light now sitting on my desk. I just got this unboxed today. It's from Venti, the Venti fan. I'm not sure how I feel about it quite yet. The light, I can already tell. I wish that it got a little bit brighter and that it could change colors and, and stuff. It's a very warm light, which some people really like. I tend to like a brighter light, but... Uh, it's such a cool little thing. So compact. It's like this fan that folds down. The light turns on. It's got a cool little remote. You can actually use it wirelessly, like not charging. You know, it can be totally free of wires if you want. It's portable. comes with a little case. doesn't take up a lot of space. But, you know, now we're getting into the cooler months here in the Midwest. But in the summer, this is going to be so awesome. It's quiet. The fan turns on. It rotates. Uh, it's like a fan that's not poorly designed. You think of fan and you don't think like techie. This is a techie, cool looking, well-designed fan that folds up and stashes out of the way and has a light on the base. It's really cool. So those are three things that I'm super excited about that I'll be making a video about uh, soon, probably this week. So you can, you got a heads up about what's coming up. I ran into an interesting article from Macworld this week. I don't know if you saw this. It was kind of trying to analyze and break down the meaning behind some of Apple's product names like the way they name stuff so talking about like air pro mini max studio ultra what do these things mean when when apple calls that like what are they actually trying to express it's actually a pretty interesting analysis so they start off with the mini and they say the mini mostly seems to signify obviously smaller but it's you know literally smaller but also in terms of performance which is interesting i only think of you know physically smaller but I guess it does make sense that it has mini performance as well. So the examples that it gives with the iPhone 13 mini, smaller than the iPhone 13, obviously, and the meaning there is small display, obviously, mid-range performance and features. Then you also have the Mac mini, and they're saying that what you get here is the small size, that's the obvious part, but also entry-level to mid-level or mid-range performance. And that one's pretty straightforward, but then we get into the Air, and I think a lot of people do get confused by what does the Air mean when Apple calls something an Air. So this says Apple's use of the Air name is a little more confusing because the MacBook Air is decidedly entry level, but the iPad Air is clearly mid-range. And then you have the MacBook Air, which is the lightest Mac laptop you can buy. So the lightness, that makes sense in that regard. But the iPad Air isn't all that much lighter than the iPad and the 11 inch iPad Pro. So it's interesting, it doesn't fit in every in the same way across the product lineup but with the ipad air what you get is an upper range performance with mid-range features with the macbook air you get entry-level performance so i can see that is actually 
a little bit confusing there. And then you have the pros. So the pro, according to this article, is the most confusing name in Apple's parlance. It clearly means better and sometimes best, but not all pro devices are created equally. So the iPhone Pro and the AirPods Pro are relatively affordable upgrades from their non-pro compatriots, reading the article here, but the 12.9 inch iPad Pro is quite pricey and the Mac Pro and Pro Display XDR are out of reach for most people. And then the 13 inch MacBook Pro is basically an air compared to the 14 inch and 16 inch. So yeah, that is a, a very huge variety of you know signification for the word pro. So you got the M1 Pro and what does that mean? It means mid-range performance. Then you got the AirPods Pro. That means high-end design and features. Then you got the iPhone 14 Pro, high-end features. Then you got the iPad Pro, upper-end performance and features. You got the MacBook Pro, mid to upper-end performance. And then the Mac Pro, ultra high-end performance, Pro Display XDR, ultra high-end performance. Yeah, so it really does run the gamut. Pro is also pretty confusing. Is Air more confusing or Pro? I feel like Air, when, when the original uh, MacBook Air was announced, it just meant light right? That's what it meant to me, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. I think that's almost more confusing than pro, but I see what they're saying here with the pro, but we're not done yet. Now we have max. So max basically just means bigger or more cores, better sound, bigger screen, stuff like that. So you have the M1 max just means upper end performance, AirPods max, higher end design and features, iPhone 14 pro max. We now got pro and max large display and high end performance. And I think that one's pretty straightforward, honestly, but what about studio? So this says it's a revival of an older display name from the early 2000s. Studio now means high-end performance without completely breaking your budget. So you got the Mac Studio, high-end performance. Studio Display, mid-range performance. <laughs> totally different. And that brings us to Ultra. We have two things named Ultra. And so Apple's kind of slowly rolling out the Ultra product line. What comes after Ultra? There's a good question for you. But basically just means highest-end performance. You got the M1 Ultra obviously. And then the Apple watch ultra, which means biggest display and highest end performance, pretty fascinating breakdown of things there because it's really not straightforward. So Samsung, they love to attack Apple. Apple very rarely uh, goes after Samsung in their ads because they don't have to, but you know, when you're in the lead, everyone's kind of taking shots at you. So Samsung's put out another ad It's called on the fence. If you haven't seen it, somebody's kind of like in an Apple store land kind of area there's a fence they kind of hop up on the fence they sit on it and they're suddenly looking over into the samsung side of things the samsung world ecosystem and the apple employee or person is kind of like hey where are you going you know don't look over there stay over here it's better over here and the other person's kind of saying well but they have foldables over there and the apple person basically says well, we're waiting for that to come over here because that's what we do. We wait. So that's Samsung's trying to say that we innovate and Apple just doesn't. They just wait and then they copy years later. That's kind of what they're saying. What's funny about that, of course, is number one, like I pointed out recently, Apple cannot make enough of their iPhone 14 Pros to meet demand. They still can't. So iPhone 14 Pros are super in demand right now and they don't fold. Number two the current foldable technology, um, you know, Samsung's foldable phones, I don't know if you ever messed around with one, but they're bulky, they're heavy. And oftentimes the, the cool, the wow factor can wear off on people. And then they're just left with this extra bulky device. And not only that, but there's sort of like a crease, a fold. You can really 
see in the screen where that fold is. And here's what's really funny. It's actually Samsung itself, Samsung's mobile experience branch, that is predicting that Apple's going to have some sort of a foldable by 2024. So obviously, you know, you probably have picked up on the fact that Apple sources some of its components from Samsung. So this is why this particular group is probably saying, hey, it looks like Apple's gearing up for some sort of a foldable in 2024, which may even tie into this ad when they're like, look, Apple waits so long. We've had a foldable for so many years and Apple's just going to roll something out in 2024. But here's what's funny too. It's not probably going to be an iPhone is what it's sounding like. So let me read to you a little bit of this Apple Insider article. It says, Apple has yet to set foot in the foldable tech market, but according to a new report, the Cupertino tech giant could release a foldable iPad or MacBook in the coming years. Samsung's mobile experience branch has met with suppliers and according to the ELEC, is feeling optimistic about the foldable market. Samsung's MX believes that Apple will announce its first foldable device by 2024, but it won't be an iPhone. Isn't that funny? While many have clamored for an iPhone fold, who's this? Who's clamoring? Nobody I know. The technology may not be there yet. What users gain in novelty, they'll likely lose in practicality because current folding phones are clunky and heavy, which we just talked about, which hardly fits with Apple's design ethos, which is true. Apple hasn't been willing to compromise to bring a foldable to market. When they do it, they want to do it the right way. So if by waiting, you mean they wait till it's going to be great, yeah, that's probably true. And also, let's be honest, you know, Apple was first to the smartphone market and Samsung wouldn't even be making smartphones if Apple hadn't first paved the way, right? <laughs> that's what's kind of ironic here. And also, in you know, nobody was making a go of a decent smartwatch, you know, like the Pebble, you know, until the Apple Watch came along. No one was really going after uh, the wireless uh, earbuds market until AirPods so, you know, it's a ridiculous thing to say. All Apple does is wait. Apple is the one that put these things on consumers' radars in a big way, even if they weren't technically first in every category in the first place. Now, Apple has not announced any plans to create a foldable device, of course, but in September, it was reported that Apple wanted LG and Samsung to make foldable OLED panels. And the goal there was going to be a device that was capable of folding without the visible crease that many current uh, devices develop. So I don't know who Samsung's ad is supposed to appeal to. You know, if you're already a Samsung fan, you might be like, ah, ha, ha, you know, gotcha. But I don't think it's really going to appeal to an Apple fan, really. If somebody likes the Apple ecosystem already, they're not going to want to give up their iPhone for that. So I like the idea of a foldable iPad potentially, because if you're going to you know, you know, I've been calling for a big iPad for a long time, longer than anybody I know, all the way up to a 27 inch. I would love to have that sitting on the desk, right? Which obviously I've always said would not be portable, but what if Apple made a big one that sat on your desk that folded up and then could go with you somewhere like in your backpack? That would be cool. Let's all admit that that would be awesome. Now, I don't know if you've seen this, but Apple has put out a holiday gift guide and it's partly like, <laughs> I have a few thoughts on this. If you look at the thing and it's apple.com slash shop slash gifts, if you want to actually look this up, part of me is like, who has the money to give an iPhone or a Mac or something as, as just a present or who's going to request this? Hey, what do you want for Christmas? Well, I need, you know, this $1,100 thing or this $1,500 thing, <laughs> you know, that's a, that's quite a gift there. But the other thing is this is just like a reskinning of the Apple st store. I don't really get what's so different about it, except Apple's grouped things into three categories. There's the what's new category, and it's just literally telling you what the latest things are. 
you know, I don't see how that's much different than the store. It even looks like the store, just with a different background. Then uh, I guess there's the personalized gift section, which kind of makes sense. If you don't want to just give a generic gift, you can personalize this. Okay, you can engrave your Apple Pencil or your AirPods or your AirTags. And by the way, those things maybe don't cost quite as much. You can engrave the iPad Mini. I don't know if people realize that. Or your AirPods Max. Kind of cool, I guess. Still kind of expensive, though, all these things. But I think the the thing that's most interesting is probably the quick picks uh, section because you can find a little something for everyone. And basically, these are this is like Apple's cheaper section, <laughs> which is still funny because it's not all that cheap. So they've got in here listed HomePod Mini. Well, that's 99 bucks. Still, though, I guess you could probably... Can you jam the box? Maybe, maybe if you had a giant stocking, you could jam that in the box. You can get a, a AirTag 4-pack for $99 also. So smaller and technically cheaper than most of Apple's other stuff. You can just get an AirTag uh, leather key ring to this, $35. I can see how these could sort of fit as like, you know, stocking stuffery type of gifts for people in the Apple ecosystem. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they listed a MagSafe charger for $39. Who wants that as their, you know, present? Oh, thank you. A charging cord. Uh, they got the iPhone leather wallet there with MagSafe. That's still 59 bucks. Even Apple's silicone case is $49. There's a few things, though, that are not just Apple stuff, like the Nanoleaf Essentials, uh, smart bulb packing, a, a three-pack for 49 bucks. I mean, that's a decent gift idea. That's kind of fun. The Beats Studio Buds, some of my favorite earbuds, of course, still at this point. Wear them all the time, honestly several times a week and a few other things like a Joby grip type pro telepod tripod. That's actually not a bad idea for some people. Magic mouse <laughs> for, <laughs> for 99. So that's Apple's cheap gift ideas uh, section, which is just kind of funny. So I guess part of me feels like it's so pointless to have this gift guide here because everyone knows Apple doesn't make all that much stuff. Anyways, people that are in the Apple ecosystem, they know about all this stuff already. Uh, and there's not like a big deal being offered here. The other thing, honestly, one of the best things they list on this page is just a gift card, an Apple gift card. Oftentimes, I have certain relatives who just give me Apple gift cards because they know, well, just let Chris pick whatever, you know. And then you can use it, I think. Can't you just use that on like apps and stuff too or like digital stuff as well as physical products? Is Some people, they're going to have all, all the stuff they need already. So then that makes sense to get them the gift card if you can use it on some digital stuff. Or, you know, if you do want to grab something and, and apply it towards it, you can do that too. Honestly, I think that's the best gift listed on this page is the gift card. All right, that concludes uh, episode 88. We're getting close to 100 here. We've been at it week after week. and We haven't let up. That's good. And the podcast is growing. And by the way, so is the newsletter. We just passed 2,000 people on the newsletter, which I realize doesn't sound like a ton. And you might be like, well, you have 400 and some thousand you know, getting close to 500,000 people on, on YouTube and you only have 2,000 people sign up? Well, you know, a couple things. We haven't been super heavily promoting it. I'm not going to get into all the technical reasons why we haven't grown fast on it. It's it's good. We're happy with the growth. It won't be long till we hit 5,000 and 10,000 and really start feeling like, wow. Uh, but the people that are subscribed love it. The open rate is so high. So it's good. Um, yeah, if you haven't signed up, that's going to be getting sent out today too. So, and you can obviously go back and check out all the back issues. It's not like a newsletter, if you haven't checked it out, like any newsletter you've seen. It's not like an article or articles. You know, it's useful stuff uh, that you can actually, you'll like to discover. And it's quick. It's easy. It's not going to monopolize your time. You know, that's why it has such a high open rate. So check it out and I'll catch you guys in the next video. Later.